Welcome to CTO Confessions with TC Gill. Brought to you by IT Labs. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This episode of CTO Confessions is brought to you by the one and only IT Labs, providing technology leaders with purpose-driven development teams for high-performance innovation and productivity. What more could you want? Please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing quality, high-performing teams off that shelf. And your host today is me, TC Gill, IT Labs Chief Talking Officer, and I'm speaking from London, UK. And in this episode, we're going to be talking to a strategy director of a company working hard to modernise the UK's digital dendrites. Yes, the UK is lagging compared to other advanced nations concerning internet coverage, speed and resilience. Well, City Fibre, the company spearheading these efforts, is here and representing them is the strategy director, Clayton Nash. So let's welcome our guest. Clayton, welcome to CTO Confessions podcast. Great to be here. Thanks. Brilliant. Um, so tell the audience a little bit about yourself. What do you do and who do you work for, sir? So I'm a, I am run commercial strategy for City Fibre. We're, we're trying to roll out a fibre-based network to about a third of the UK and just transform the entire experience of everybody's communications at home, at school, you know, interacting with the council, your mobile, the whole thing. Wow. Um, yeah, so quite a big operation then. I mean, a third of the country, even in a small, small country like ours, I mean, that's quite a big task, isn't it? Well, you know, we're the fifth biggest economy in the world. It's not that small. Yes. Uh, yeah, look, we need to spend about four billion pounds over the next four or five years to get this done. Um, yeah. It's a challenge, but, you know, we're on that journey. Uh, we're accelerating and we're confident we can do it. Brilliant. Um, so just that some of the audience out here that are not based out in the UK, where are we uh, as a nation in terms of progress in creating an internet and network which is kind of relevant for nowadays kind of working in the industry that the UK is focused on? Well, in many ways, we're shockingly far behind uh, our friends in Europe. Um, you know, the, the UK's coverage of full fibre um, is in the teens, essentially. There are 27 million homes um, and only about four or five million of those can actually access full fibre services. Wow. And I think, you know, through the you know, for a long time, we've had a series of copper-based services that have been deployed, um, bandwidths up to, you know, 50 or 80 megabits or something like that. Um, and we thought that was kind of okay for a while. But really what we found through COVID, and I think we've all experienced this, is that it's just not enough, right? Mm. It doesn't stay up. Uh, you can tell when people are in bad connections, they look fuzzy on the, the video, the sharing doesn't work. There's just too much friction there, right? It's, uh, and and we're, we're way behind our, uh, Europe in this process. Spain, Portugal, places like this are sort of 80% more or more coverage of fiber. Um, you know, Holland is almost completely covered now. Yeah. Um, even Germany is now starting to accelerate quite a bit. Um, and we're fundamentally, you know, at the beginning of that journey. It's only really started happening in the past two years that it's happened. So we're yeah. behind. We need to be in front. Um, as we always say, you know, the UK is a service-based economy. Services run on the internet and the internet runs on fiber, right? Yes. Um, and, and if we don't get it right, we risk quite a bit. Yeah, it's it's a risk. If you if you're going to have a, a risk to a nation, uh, a risk register. I love talking about risk registers. It's pretty high up there, isn't it? To kind of uh, you know, and what are we going to do to mitigate it? And it's something that I, I see you know companies like yourself uh, really kind of solving that. So that's brilliant. Um, I kind of feel like addressing the reason why we got into the situation because sometimes the why helps us address the the how we go forward. I mean, what, what what is the reason behind uh, us kind of lagging behind so much? 
it's a few things, but fundamentally, you know, we're, we're dominated by one company in this country um, who, who took the opportunity to not invest in the network, but just to try to kind of make sure the existing investment in copper um, lasted as long as possible. Yeah. Now, you know, I, 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 th I think people don't understand how old that network is. The copper network is 150 years old. Wow. It started back in kind of the late 1800s with Alexander Graham Bell. Um, and it's been there for a long, long time. Yeah. Uh, and replacing that is billions and billions of pounds. But it's it's painful, but it's something we must do. Yeah. Right? And I, we, had, we had a lot of lessons, you know, we were told a number of times, you don't need more bandwidth. People only need so much. Um, and what we've discovered is actually people need a lot more. And if you give them more flexibility, they will use it. Yeah. Um, and, and now that we've started rolling out, you know, I think that the country has reacted and now everybody's doing the same thing. Brilliant. Um, it's a it's a classic story of trying to manage your own internal costs and requirements instead of delivering what the customer needs. Ultimately, mm. right? right. Excellent. So coming back to yourself as a tech leader, you know, build a picture up about you as a tech leader yourself. What's your kind of passion? What's the thing that really rocks your boat and gets you out of bed in the morning? You know, the thing I love more than anything else is is building something and meeting someone who's life was changed as a result of that right wow and being able to point at something in the earth and say i was a key part of making that happen yes um, and this is the ultimate kind of option to do that stuff right we we meet people all the time in towns and villages across the uk who have stories about they have to live on the internet and until this turned up it was a really painful thing yeah and, and that's really what motivates me right we're changing people's lives in important ways Absolutely. It, there's a kind of joke um, a hierarchy of uh, needs, uh, Maslow's kind of hierarchy of needs, where they show the internet <laughs> kind of like right at the kind of lower levels of the uh, of that diagram. Um, but but there is some kind of seriousness around that. I mean, we talk about internet poverty, you know, where people, certain regions and certain areas don't have that that level of connectivity and it kind of has a big impact on their abilities to, I guess, um, you know, progress in, in their kind of lives. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's down to simple things like you can't apply for jobs because all of those are online, right? Yeah. Um, you know, benefits of, you know, dealt with online, online shopping during this process, you know, it went from 10% to 20, 25% of what you're doing. If you're unable to get on the internet and you can't order food, that's, that's pretty important in terms of the hierarchy of needs. Yes, that's right. Um, I, I'm kind of reflecting on uh, what you mentioned a second ago, when you see something in the ground or, you know, you had an impact on that. It reminds me of when I used to walk past exchanges because I used to be an embedded software engineer. And uh, and I always used to kind of peek through the windows to see the equipment that we used to actually work on. And interestingly, it, it was copper. It was the copper wires that were kind of leading to people's homes, which were which were kind of interfacing with that. So it's great to see we are actually progressing away from that. And uh, um so in terms of your leadership, uh, Clayton, what, you know, what's your kind of leadership style? How do you kind of lead your people and teams to kind of get the best out of them? So, you know, I, I, I recognize in myself there's a, a certain style of working and a certain set of strengths. Um, and there are a certain set of weaknesses in that process as well. Um, so what I, what I really try to do is surround myself with people who are not like me. All right. People who both fill in the gaps but also challenge me in all the right ways at, at the right time. So I, I try to foster a sort of an informal process, relationship. This is not a hierarchical um, top-down kind of process. Uh, I like to use a lot of humor. Um, and, cool. You know, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's really important to me because, you know, I think it, it 
people react best when they're feeling relaxed, when they're feeling able to contribute, right? Yes. Um, and I like to have really smart people um, who are going to push me. Yeah. Right? So all of those things are, are really important to me in terms of, of leadership here. Yes, you need to set the agenda. Yes, you need to have a vision. You need to kind of shape where you're going. Um, yeah. But every, everybody's driving that that bus at some point, right? We're all taking turns at the front of that process. We know where, we know where we're heading, um, but the decisions along the way need to be a collaborative process. Yeah. When you talk about informal uh, leadership, um, I, I can imagine I could, I could really sit well within that because I, first of all, I love humour. I think humour is a great tool for shifting energy and, and motivating people. Um, it creates a safe space. Uh, some of the, uh, you know, informal kind of ways of leading sometimes kind of create a little bit of, a, not chaos, but uh, more kind of organic kind of uh, actions and behaviours and what have you. Do, you. do you find that a challenge to not having uh, kind of strict rules? Well, absolutely. And, you know, I, my, my style attends towards that more kind of inorganic process. Um, but that doesn't work for everybody. And, and that's where it's really important to have other people on the team who fill in those spaces, right? So there are people who want that order. They make sure that those, you know, things are listed and that the I's are ticked and the, you know, sorry, the I's are dotted and the T's are, t- T's are crossed. Yeah. Um, you need to cover all of that. Of course, you need to have the structure and the, the form around that process. Yeah, um, but, but there's you manage at different levels. You, you manage at these are the projects I'm doing. This is the review. But on the day to day, you can have more informality and, um, and ensure that people are engaged in that way. Great. And uh, we've had conversations off offline around you know your teams and how you've kind of uh, the culture that you've created within City Fibre uh, to, to to help people enjoy their work, uh, be part of it, and what have you. So, what tips have you got for kind of tech leaders and aspiring tech leaders out there around getting the best out of your teams and creating high performing teams? So, you need to recognise your teams are full of people um, and <laughs> not employees. Yeah, I think that's a key one. Um, you know, HR is is important and critical. But HR are going to drive you towards a system that manages a series of employee numbers. Yeah. Um, and as a, as a leader, you need to recognize that there are people at the other end of each, each conversation you're having. I mean, a, a really great example of this is um, when we had our last all hands, just, um, you know, at the beginning of December, um, the CEO and the, the, the CFO said, you know, we acknowledge this has been a really difficult year for everybody. It's been really tough. We've worked really hard. Um, so we're, we're giving you a few extra days off between Christmas and New Year. The company, aside from essential services, is going to close down over those periods. It's not coming out of your leave. You're just going to get that because we need you all to recover, right? Mm. And now a lot of people are going to take that time off anyway. Um, There's there's relatively little you get done over that period of time, but just the acknowledgement of the fact that everybody had been working really hard, Mm. it, it just created so much goodwill through the process. And people came back in the New Year really fired up and kind of keen to work. You don't do it because you're trying to get them to work harder. You get it. You do it because you recognise the humanity of, of what you're dealing with. Wow! Um, yeah, that's great. It's it's really uh, nice to hear a leader, another leader, talking about that kind of human element, the humanity, and um, and an offering because it's the right thing to do. You know, it's just the right thing to do, and it's kind of nice. Um, and I guess there's kind of a lot of tech leaders out there that kind of struggle with this kind of concept of, you know, hand, not, you know, giving and, and, and uh, providing little gifts like this. I mean, what would you, what would you say to kind of tech leaders out there? Cause I mean, I, I align to this. I think this is great. Um, but a lot of tech leaders probably thinking, oh, stuck in old ways. What would you say to that? Well, you know, it's an explicit choice um, to, to go through this process. You know, in, in technology, we, we tend to have a, a 
a certain stereotype of people that, that work here, right? And they are more interested in things than people, in a sense. Um, mm. And you, you need to step out of that um, quite deliberately. Um, even people who are really focused on kind of the latest iteration of SQL databases or uh, the newest kind of RAM speeds or something like that ultimately have families and they have experiences outside of work. Yeah. Um, it's a bit trite to say you're bringing your whole self to work. It feels, you know, very touchy-feely. Um, but there's a big, a lot of truth in that as well, right? Um, totally. Everybody's, everybody's struggling in their own way. Um, and if you recognize that, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll help you through the tough times if you recognize that, uh, uh, if you help them through their tough times, basically. Yeah, yeah. And in terms of leading uh, during this kind of period, you know, we, we're going through a very special moment. So people listening in the future, we're going through the COVID uh, challenge at the moment. Um, how have you found that in terms of your teams and your leadership? Massive challenge, right? Uh, same as everybody else. Um, you cannot replace a culture with Zoom. Um, mm. is the, the fundamental issue. Um, and certainly for myself, you know, I, I rely on quite a high touch kind of face-to-face -face kind of process in order to communicate both what I'm what I'm thinking and to understand back from other people um, what happens. I, I love to be in a meeting room and kind of wandering around thinking and drawing on a whiteboard. Yeah. All of that went away, right? And it, yeah. it was not replaced by a little gallery of faces um, on a screen. Yes. So that was a huge challenge, not just for me, but I think everybody's found that, right? It's been exhausting. Um, and all of your tools that you had previously just didn't work. Um, whether you're trying to have a motivational conversation or a tough conversation with somebody, that's really difficult. Yeah. Um, and ad adapting to that has been, I think, the key challenge of the last year. That's right. It's almost like we need some type of, um, I, I don't know, another layer. I'm kind of thinking of emojis, you know, like when we, when you use kind of emojis on the text and emails and stuff like that, it kind of, it conveys an kind of emotional state or some more information. And Zoom definitely does that. It seems to wash. Well, well, let's say, was it 20% of communication is actually verbal? The rest of it's kind of non-verbal and that's all lost, isn't it? You know, especially when people's cameras aren't on. Um, yeah. I, I, and and in terms of getting people aligned to what you're trying to achieve, the vision, um, I guess that's harder in Zoom as well. If you've got nice walls, you can kind of show where we're going. You can show roadmaps and it's kind of available. It's very easy to look at. Is this something that you found challenging within City Fiber? Because you've got a very clear vision as to what you're trying to achieve. Yeah, that's absolutely been a challenge. Um, you know, the vision is very clear. And I think that without that, you know, you're lost to start with. Um, but it's still a huge challenge. We've We've grown massively from... When I joined around 100 people four, four and a half years ago to somewhere around 15, 1600 people now. Wow. And, and you, you move from one mode of communication where you pretty much know everybody and just, you know, most problems are solved by walking up to someone's desk to, sorry, there's a department that deals with that that you didn't know existed and there's 15 people in there, none of whom you've ever spoken to, that you now need to motivate to do something that's different, right? Yeah. And they have their own rules and structures that you've, that have developed that you, you weren't even aware of. So yeah, mass, massive challenge. Yeah. It, we, it's, it's been easier to line people up on the vision. Um, it's more difficult to line people up on the details through this process. Well, yeah. And from yourself as, as a leader in that space, because um, from what I'm hearing is that you're, you're very, um, you, you like relationships, you build relationships with the people you work with and, and that can expansion kind of must create quite a, um, a challenge for you as, as a leader to be able to kind of deal with that because you're not in touch with everybody. Those relationships have become almost abstracted. Um, 
what's your kind of learning around that? How have you managed managed to kind of continue who you are as a leader, but but also deal with the situation as it is? Well, I think you 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 know leadership is is entirely about adaptation and change, right? And for, for me, it's been a process of moving from a lot of face to face communication to a lot of written communication, right? Yeah. Most of what we do is now written down on PowerPoint slides and emailed around. Um, and you discover that you're not quite as good at that as that as you thought you were through the process. And, um, you know, you need to practice and work hard at that, that kind of stuff. Yes. But, you know, there's a, there's a lovely quote from Deming where he said, you don't need to change. Survival is not mandatory, right? You need, if you don't change, <laughs> if you don't yeah. learn, yeah. Um, you know, that's an easy way to go out of business, basically. Yes. So, yeah, it's tough, but, you know, there's no choice. Yeah, I, I love uh, people um, quoting Deming because he, oh, he was a fantastic individual, wasn't he? He got it all kind of worked out. You just can keep going back and going, yep, I wish I'd have remembered that one. Yeah, decades ago, all those lessons are still salient now. From the perspective of engineering and, and what you're doing, you know, for the nation and, and putting in this kind of network, what um, what are the challenges you're having around that? What I mean, obviously, you've got the COVID situation, which is a challenge in itself. But are there any kind of technological challenges that you have? So, you know, I think that the key, the key challenge we've got is probably quality, build quality, right? Um, we think of ourselves as, you know, a, a world that's built telecommunications networks, but we haven't really. We built one um, in about 1900 through 1950, and then mostly we tinkered with it a bit. We built some stuff in cable in the cable space in the 80s, and then, you know, we haven't done very much since then. So yeah. this is all new. Uh, not just for us, but for kind of all the other companies in the space as well. And doing quality at scale is really difficult, but it's also really critical because uh, the worst the, the worst outcome is you turn up to a customer. And our, our NPS scores, you know, our customer set scores are in the 90s. People love what we do. Wow, that's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we're very proud of that and we want to keep that. But if you turn up at a customer having said, I'm going to be there on a Monday morning, you turn up and you can't do it because... Six months ago, someone built something badly and you didn't catch it. That's really bad. Yes. Right. And it's, you've disappointed a customer, and you know, there's a whole series of knock-ons from that. So, so that that building is easy. Building properly is difficult. Mm. Um, and you know, back to Deming, right? You know, quality is achieved by inspection, uh, not edict. Um, yeah. And that's that's been a, a, a tough lesson for us to learn, but we're getting that right. Yeah. So what's your feedback loop then to kind of learn from that? Because we all make mistakes, you know, and um, and it sounds like you're making less mistakes uh, than than a lot of, you know, having that 90% score is pretty amazing. So what's the feedback loops to kind of learn and adapt and and, and kind of feed that back into the, the processes or behaviours? So there's no magic here, right? You 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 do this partly by slog, partly by tools. Um, but, but fundamentally, we inspect, we check, um, and we make sure that kind of the way that the customer sat scores are linked to the way that we build the network, right? People need to understand the fact that you're kind of digging a trench in a street um, in Milton Keynes is directly linked to the fact that somebody needs to apply for a job on the internet at nine months later, right? Those two things need to be linked, both kind of logically and, you know, in terms of objectives and all those kind of structured management yes. tools. Yeah. And uh, you kind of touched on something really interesting there. You know, uh, one of your engineers showing up when they say they're going to show up, you know, uh, it sounds really kind of trivial, but I mean, that's a huge impact on people to, you know, showing up and being able to do the job completely in one go um, uh, and, and not having this 
uh, quality debt sticking around in the in the back. So so in terms of work that's already been done, do you kind of revert back and have like a retrospective of of uh, of the work that has been done already to make sure it is fit for purpose? Yeah, absolutely. You know, at some point, there's some, you know, there's some number in a, a measurement will start to tell you, ah. you know, something happened a year ago that wasn't good and you need to go back and check it now because you've built up a, a world of pain for yourself. Yes. Uh, and, and of course, we kind of, we, we look back into the network and kind of re-inspect stuff. We find mistakes, we find things that we just missed back at the time, right? Yeah. Um, we do that much less now because, you know, we, we're aware of the impact through the process. But yeah, um, you know, you get, you, again, you get what you measure. Um, so if you measure customer satisfaction, then that's what you hope will come out of the machine. Yeah, and that is really important, you know, measuring the right stuff. Because if you measure the wrong stuff, um, it kind of sends you on a kind of, I don't know, it sends you off on tangents. And, uh, and this kind of customer-centric approach, which I think a lot of industries need to kind of uh, address as well, it, it sends you in the right direction. It becomes your driver. This is a this is a big thing for me, right? That measurement thing, because if you're measuring a proxy, then what happens is you start to optimize the proxy. Um, you know, there are classic stories out of kind of Soviet Russia about a nail factory that was measured on the weight of nails. Uh, so they made one 17-ton nail, um, and, and, and of course, yeah. So everyone went, "That's clearly the wrong thing." So they 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 measured them on the number of nails, um, and they got a billion tiny completely useless nails made of wafer thin metal yeah what you're trying to optimize is the outcome not yeah. the measurement yeah i've not heard that story before is that actually a really real story i've not heard that one well i mean so much from there is apocryphal but it's a great yeah. story either way yeah yeah and and you do hear about this because back in the day when i used to be a developer you know we got um we got had a metric around bugs so people started raising bugs you know, because that's what we were measured on. And some of them were just trivial. It, it just got very silly. But this is the thing, you know, it, uh, measurement does change behavior. Yeah, the classic story is, you know, Microsoft and IBM collaborating on OS2. Uh, IBM measured lines of code. They'd ship a thousand lines of code to Microsoft who would optimize it down to 200. And my, my, IBM said, no, hang on, you've gone backwards. <laughs> Even though the code was better and operated a bit better. Yeah, I mean, this is the whole topic. We could do a podcast on this. And again, Deming had um, a, lot, a lot of say around this as well. One of the things in our previous conversations we talked about uh, some of the challenges that you have, because you have things in your sphere of influence, you know, the quality of what you put into the ground, the quality of the equipment you create, you know, where the data centers are and what have you. Um, you there's other kind of actors in this uh, and other stakeholders. How do you kind of manage that? It, um, that must be really challenging because they've got their own pace and their own processes to kind of run by. Well, absolutely. So, you know, big stakeholder in all of this is the, the councils within the cities that we deal with. We're, we're going to dig up those streets and annoy everybody. <laughs> um, yeah. They don't yeah. like that, right? They want the fiber. They don't want the annoyance. Um, and then there's a whole slew of other people, you know, the actual people within the street that you're dealing with whose driveways you're going to block for a day and so forth. You know, we, we took a, a view very early on that you manage that by engaging um, and knowing what the issues are. Um, and so we, we hire somebody who lives in each of the cities that we're building in. Um, and that their job is to go out and figure out where the problems are going to be um, and understand the problem from the, the point of view of the person that's at the city council, right? Yeah. Sometimes when you're asking permission to, to dig up a street and they're saying no, it's for a really good reason, right? They're, they're, they're aware of some stuff that you're not aware of. And ultimately, you can solve that problem between yourselves much more efficiently if there's a person there 
having that conversation. So yeah, we're you know we're beholden to a number of, of people across the country, um, and our view is really that you need to fix that by working with them, not against them. Yes, I kind of that's a great idea. Getting people local to the situation. I mean, it's very it's a very agile thing to do as well, where the people actually making the decisions and giving the information are the ones actually doing the work or closest to the work. And that, that employing people locally, is that something that you've always done or is that something that kind of came out of insights of, 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 and problems that, you, that emerged from the work you were doing? Uh, it, it developed, you know, about five, six years ago. We, we kind of had the sense that things work better if we, if we knew people locally. Yes. Um, you know, there's an RFP that comes out and it lists a series of questions, but behind those questions is a whole set of assumptions. And yes. You better understand those assumptions. Yeah. Um, you know, we before we embarked on the five to the home journey um, at scale, we did a lot of public sector networks. Uh, you know, we, we connected all of Edinburgh schools, for example. We connected a series of hospitals in Glasgow. Uh, Southend-on-Sea runs entirely on our fibre. And, and those, again, were all kind of people, local people who understood what the council was trying to achieve and where their pain points were. Yeah. So it's been an evolution, um, and this is where we've, we've come to, but it's worked really well for us. That's right. I, I can imagine uh, the uh, local engineers being able to see the, the challenges of the road, understanding the council and what they're trying to achieve, uh, and also um, maybe having ins- better insights of where they where, where you can put stuff as opposed to where you want it. But it, it reminds me of uh, managing a company from an Excel sheet. You know, it, that is the abstraction of abstractions of abstractions. It's like, yeah, it looks great on an Excel sheet, but in reality, is it the right thing to do? Yeah, absolutely. Just because you put a date in Microsoft Project doesn't mean it's going to happen. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, somebody's going to invent that Excel sheet, you know, the one that, that where you put the date in and it just, <laughs> it does its stuff, you know, behind the scenes. So the, it's, a, it's a challenging business. There's, there's lots of things going on. There's things out of your sphere of influence. You, you're collaborating. As a leader, what, what kind of keeps you up at night, Clayton? What, what's the thing that really challenges you and you kind of wake up, break up, uh, wake up in the night uh, in a sweat thinking, oh my God, you know. So, I mean, the, the obvious answer is, you know, competition and, and so forth. But um, if, you, if you just look internally for a while, I, I really worry about the way that we communicate as a business. Um, you know, there was a clear break when we kind of bumped above 200 people and you needed to start thinking about stuff differently now. Um, and that is a, that's a challenge. We're still growing quickly. We still need to make decisions rapidly, large decisions rapidly. Um, and if you don't watch that, you bake a number of assumptions into your workflow, into your tools, into your language, even, that mm. cause you a whole series of problems going forward. Um, most recently, we, we just announced um, this March that we're going to start building in about 200 or so much smaller areas than cities. Um, previously, we spoke about 50 or 60 cities that we built in. Um, that's already thrown up a problem. It's a very minor thing, but there's a form that we use in some workflow that has a city name in it. And now we don't have a city name to put in the form and the <laughs> workflow won't go. And oh, no. yeah. it's a trans, you know, some language that we used at one point has translated into a workflow, which is translated into a point of friction. Now that's easy to fix. Um, but, you know, you get a thousand of those and all of a sudden it takes you three weeks to do something that used to take you a day. Yeah. Uh, and that, that's, that's how you slowly grind yourself down from being innovative to just kind of turning the handle on something. Yeah. Is he kind of growing this kind of 200 to, is it 1500 you said? Uh, it's yeah. it's quite large numbers. Um, from what you've described, there's kind of a culture of 
try, uh, trying really hard to kind of get the customer um, being customer centric and serving what the customer needs, their use cases, all the things that they need out of your your network. Um, as you expand, as the culture kind of got diluted, is it is it difficult to kind of infect? You know, um, it, I mean infection in a good way. I know this is kind of a bit of a, a loaded uh, word to use in this kind of time and age, but it, is it easy to kind of infect other people with the culture that you've got incumbent in the organization? It's doable. It's not easy, right? It's a deliberate choice um, to recognize the culture as a strength. We're really lucky. You know, our CEO, Greg, is a charismatic believer and um, he's fantastic at kind of driving all of that thinking through the company. He, he interacts with everybody. Um, you know, any of those 1,500 people can get hold of Greg directly and have a conversation. Wow. If need be. There's no, you know, yeah, there are lines of reporting. Of course, you know, it's a, it's a fully-fledged company. But there's no gates. There's no doors between people. Yeah. Um, and if you wanted to have that conversation, it could happen. Um, so he leads from the top. You know, his everyone who works underneath him is the same. They're all kind of, you know, embedded in the culture. And we, we try and make that part of the interview process as well. We explain to people... This is how things work here, right? This is how you're going to live your day. Yes. Um, if that's not something that you're comfortable with, then you know you should think about doing something else. It's that honesty, um, yeah, and then and being and showing people the design that you have. So it's not an assumption; it's something that's communicated clearly. Yeah. Um, culture is not a not an accident, right? It's a, yes. it's a deliberate choice practice. Yes. Um, and yes, it's difficult. It's very difficult when you're adding a hundred people a month to make sure that they're all the right people and they all think the same way. Um, but you have to go ahead and do that. Brilliant. I love this. There's some good, uh, I, I'm, I'm a big, um, I'm fascinated with culture and how you create it, how it can go wrong as well. Uh, and uh, what you've kind of described here, it's a choice and being very explicit about that choice and having conversations around what that actually means so that people have clarity around that. So well done to Greg. You know, I, I don't know if Greg's ever going to listen to this podcast. I hope he does. Uh, thank you, Greg. Uh, I, I can speak directly to you apparently. So, uh, so that's good. Um, and and that's great, actually, that, you know, even the CEO and the leader of the organization is, is kind of open, has an open channel to the kind of people at the coalface uh, to kind of hear what needs to be said. And I guess uh, from a psychological perspective, people... Um, probably don't always exercise that but it's a nice feeling to know that you have that exactly i mean almost nobody really does it right there's very yeah. few people actually end up emailing the ceo um and i'm sure you could do it everywhere else we you know we're just a bit more this is something that you can do it's an option please you know we, we're trying to get better here not just kind of run the machine so in terms of the operations at city fiber what tools are you using to kind of coordinate this because i've got this kind of image in my head there's lots of moving parts there's lots of delays because of uh, practical reasons and uh, councils and other stakeholders are there any kind of tools that you use or systems that you use to kind of help smooth that out absolutely and you know it, it's more complicated than you think there's 1500 people there's another 10,000 people that you know are contracted yeah. out there um to build this whole thing and a lot of moving parts that are happening all the time. We're, we're pretty lucky because we're a decade old. So we've been pretty much cloud centric from the start. Um, all of our tools are based kind of primarily off Salesforce. That's the, the hub around which we all circulate. So all of our customer information, everything else is, is in there. And then there's a whole ecosystem of cloud-based stuff around that. Um, you know, partly it's how do you run the network? We've got ServiceNow plugged into that. We've got a few other kind of monitoring tools in, in, in that process. Uh, partly it's a set of cloud-based communication stuff with the contractors that issue work packs and bring, get back quality information. You know, 
we, we run entirely on the cloud. Without that, we'd be dead. We have to yeah. eat our own dog food here. <laughs> yeah, that investment in creating uh, serving processes, you know, and flows uh, creates a flow. You know, it, it kind of takes the edges off off uh, uh, complex uh, things. I, I also imagine there's a lot of data that you, you are kicking around in the system. You know, you're kind of swimming in data uh, from the work that you do. Do you, do you use your data to kind of like feed that back into some type of learning, machine learning or AI even? Oh, we're definitely looking at a, a set of machine learning things. We're, we're, you know, we're doing the classic stuff, you know, fault rates, etc. Uh, we had some really, you know, fascinating data about, um, which turned out to be us watching power cuts, basically. Um, and one of the other things we found was, you know, five percent of the the broadband services go off at night, and we thought we had a big fault. Wow! It turns out, like, there's a set of people out there who turn off their routers at night. Um, and we were seeing that, and uh, um, oh yes, it was a bit of a surprise. But that's something people do. So sometime around nine or ten, five percent of the network disappears, and at seven o'clock the next morning, it reappears on our <laughs> systems. So we, we know to ignore that, right? We we understand that pattern yeah. um, now, and our ISPs can understand that pattern as well. This isn't a fault; it's just how people operate. It's just behavior of people. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting one. That's inspired me actually to turn my router off at nine o'clock because. You know, that kind of late night browsing of uh, internet news, it's not, it's not good for me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so coming back to growing pains, I, I don't know why, but I've got an obsession with growing pains today. Your company, what are the kind of foundations that set a company up for, for good, scalable growth? So for us, it's knowing what you're trying to achieve, right? That, that comes back to the mission. Is the mission you something you can articulate in one sentence or in a slogan? Or is it four sentences of jargon-filled confusion uh, that <laughs> reference best practices and international benchmarks and so forth. Right? Yes. Can, can you explain that to somebody in one sentence? And, you know, for us, that's very straightforward. We're connect, you know, bringing the UK into the 21st century for connectivity. Right? Brilliant. Um, and everything revolves around that. As long as you know where your center point is, you know, the growth is, revolves around that mission. Um, and it, it all ends up in the right place as long as you concentrate. That's great. I like that one sentence. I, I tend to be quite verbose in everything that I describe. So uh, I'm going to, you've inspired me to kind of cut down my purpose. In our leadership um, uh, kind of style, we, we refer to the thing called the stake, the leader's stake. And it's that thing that you hammer into the ground and you gravitate around. You always come back to it. And I guess, Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And that's, I guess that's yours. And it's simple and, and people can see it and, and align to it very, very quickly. So I, I love this bit, actually, of the podcast, where, where I ask um, ask you around books that you've read. You know, what books would you recommend to other tech leaders or just generally leaders out there that have really inspired you and changed I, I you? Love, I love this question. Book, books are a superpower, right? Yes. <laughs> they, are, they allow you to cheat uh, directly and in the best possible way. Yeah. Um, there, there are two books that, that I, I recommend quite often. Um, the first is for, for people as, as they're kind of moving into leadership roles from doing roles. There's something called What Got You Here Won't Get You There by Marshall Goldsmith. Oh. Um, and it really just describes that journey of those habits and skills that got you, what made you a really great executioner of some task are going to be really bad for you as you try to manage people doing those tasks, right? You need, you need to bring different skills to bear. Um, the other book that I, I, I love uh, is The First 90 Days by Michael Watkins, okay. which just talks about new jobs, right? Um, people don't move jobs very often. It happens every few years. 
And it's just a guide to say, what are you going to do in the first three months to make an impact? There's nothing magical in that in that book. You know, if you sat down and thought about it, you could write that list out yourself. But as a guide for something you only do every few years, or to be able to say to a new manager, now that you're in this position, here's a checklist. Here's some things you need to make sure you're doing is really great. Yeah, that's, that's really good. There are two books I have not got in my great library behind me. The audience can't see my my video, but uh, yeah, there's uh, I've got a lot of books, but I haven't got those two. So I'm going to add them to my list and have a good read. And I love how you describe books as well. Books are superpowers. I really, um, uh, I just think people who write books are, are amazing. And also the gift that they're giving you in this little package is just great. I mean, it's probably a works, uh, a lifetime's work that's all kind of invested and consolidated and structured for you to kind of pick up. You get it for eight pounds. Right? Yes, so, a bargain. A massive <laughs> bargain, yeah. Yeah, that's good. Have you thought about writing any books at all, Clayton? <laughs> uh, no, um, I'm not sure I have the discipline to sit down and, and do that over the course of a year. But uh, yeah. um, maybe, you know, as we move from a written word to a clubhouse world, it's uh, more yeah. about communicating verbally. Podcasts yeah. are the new books in some ways. Yeah, that's right. I mean, there's some really great podcasts out there. Um, I, I, I don't know how this one rates, but hey. <laughs> um and uh, yeah, so in terms of, uh, I remember actually an author, just kind of a funny story. I, uh, uh, my brother-in-law, in fact, he wrote a book on uh, uh, virtual computing uh, quite early on in the day. And I asked him how, what his experience was. And I think it was quite traumatic. He goes, never again, never <laughs> again. But it was a really good book. I, was re I think he was really pleased that he did it. But I think there is a, a kind of a, a process that's very challenging. You know, you've got your ideas, but it's structured in a way. Uh, that kind of works for everybody. Um, and here's another fun part of the podcast, which I love, which is kind of being the tech genie. I'm going to pretend to be a tech genie for a minute and offer you a wish for your leadership, for your company, or for your people that you lead. What would your wish be to the tech genie? PowerPoint. <laughs> uh, you know, we, 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 we got Excel to the point where it's pretty close to perfect. PowerPoint is now the way that we communicate and it is still really frustrating to get right. Yes. Uh, and the number of ugly slides, the number of pain points editing that thing, um, you know, it's, it's a foundational piece of technology and it's not there yet for us. Yeah. Um, I think if we fix that, um, that would, you know, give everyone a day a week off, basically. Yeah, that's right. It reminds me of that kind of death by PowerPoint, you know, um, and it is a skill. It is a skill to, to be able to put that kind of stuff together and being able to convey uh, stuff visually in, in, a, in an enticing way. I think it is challenging. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we'll see what I can do with that. I'll see if I can <laughs> make that wish come true. And actually, I'm going, to I'm going to step back a little bit and go back to what we were talking about, the books, uh, aspiring tech leaders. You kind of mentioned one book around there, the first 90 days. What's the one thing out of that book that you think would be useful for people to aspiring leaders to kind of take on board? There's a, a wonderful process where that he describes specifically going to meet everybody who works for you, right? And just spending time with them um, every month on figuring out what they do, uh, how they fit into the process and explaining what you're doing. It's, it sounds it sounds insane that a new person wouldn't go around and meet everybody explicitly, but uh, I've met so many new leaders who don't get that that's part of the job, right? Yes. But understanding who works for you is a key part of what's going to happen and you can't manage by email. Yeah. Um, and you know, th that there's a little checklist in there of kind of key topics to run through. Um, I think the book's probably worth it just, just for that little process. Excellent. I'll, you're right. It is part of somebody's job. It is part of a leader's job to know the people that are in, uh, 
uh, under their um, kind of influence and, and leadership. Uh, and to me, it just seems really obvious. I mean, something that I do just naturally, because I'm, a, you know, we're kind of people related people, but it, it seems strange why people wouldn't want to do that. And um, maybe this will inspire some tech leaders out there to kind of do exactly the same. Everybody's got their own style and their own kind of focus, right? There are there are some, some people out there who who want to who want to focus on technology management and so forth. And really, it's it's about learning that the technology problems are people problems, ultimately. So yeah. you, you need to kind of cover the whole gamut of communication. Excellent. As we come to an end, our time together, Clayton, um, what's your one key takeaway that you'd like to kind of give the tech leaders? We've had loads of takeaways, so I'm, maybe we've already kind of covered it, but what's the one thing that you'd leave the men and women leaders out there uh, as a gift? I, I, use my, I use my quote, but I'll, I'll say it again anyway. Look, you know, for me, technology leadership is about solving human problems, not technology problems. Um, if I can kind of fall back on another quote, um, you know, people don't want to buy drill bits, they want to buy holes, right? <laughs> what is the problem we're trying to solve is the, the key thing. And I think within the technology space, we get very excited about specifications and change and systems and all that stuff. And that's all really important because that's the day-to-day -day of what we do. But we need to kind of step back and remember that we're trying to solve a human problem. And that's the driver of change. And that's the thing that the value that we bring as a result of what we do. Great words to finish on. Thank you, Clayton. I think there was uh, lots of great tips in there for uh, leaders out there. And I look forward to hearing more about City Fibre and their kind of progress in wiring up the country. Uh, I love this country and I, and I think, you know, you're doing a great service to it to bring it into the 21st century, um, you know, uh, with faster internets. And if anything, my gaming will be better and faster, you know, on, on my Xbox, you know. Absolutely. That's what we do. Excellent. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Well, that was an enlightening conversation about something we all rely on, the internet. Many of us use it without even realising it. I feel there needs to be more gratitude towards this service, a service that defines much of our lives now. And on that subject, have you heard of that joke about the internet or Wi-Fi being at the base layer of the Maslow's hierarchy of needs? I know it's kind of funny, but it just shows you how important this has become in all of our lives. So, the internet. In the UK, I'm glad that the monopoly that one particular company had over it is finally being broken. Companies like City Fibre are working really hard to fill the gap of where the nation could be in terms of its internet and where it is now. You can see why they're expanding so nicely. Clayton's description of the approach and the culture is one that I see as life-affirming, sensing and adapting and working with laser focus to deliver delight to the customer. So my first key takeaway from the podcast was that the UK isn't where it should be. Companies like City Fibre are approaching that and creating a better, more resilient and faster internet and delivering it with style. My second key takeaway is how Clayton's approach of leadership and culture of the organisation, exampled by City Fibre CEO, creates a high-performing and adapting organisation that delivers quality results. And my final and third key takeaway is Clayton's nice little quote, that technology leadership is about solving human problems, not technology ones. A great reminder to us all. So thank you, Clayton, for your time. It's been wonderful speaking to you and I hope your company goes on to bring the internet fast and resilient to all corners of the nation. And now I'm going to try and say goodbye in internet language. And for those that don't know internet language, that was thank you, Clayton, as well. And before I go, remember to subscribe to CTO Confessions, podcast and IT Labs newsletter. The URLs for this can be found on this page. 
We're consistently creating material to create, support and nurture a community of tech leaders. And of course, if you want to know more about our services at IT Labs, including our Teams as a Service service, please don't hesitate to get in touch. As mentioned in the intro, please think of us like tech leaders, favourite off-the-shelf service, providing quality, high-performing teams off that shelf with a wide breadth of skill and knowledge. That's all, folks. Look after each other and keep safe. Wishing you all a great day or evening wherever you are in the world from all of us at IT Labs. Live long and prosper until we meet again on the next podcast.